All right, welcome to another episode of Stickle Country. Uh, excited to have Mr. M.R. James on with us tonight, who, in case you don't know, uh, created Bro Hunter magazine long, long time ago, and uh, a great magazine. And uh, he's going to come on here and tell us probably some stories. And uh, looking forward to that. So, Mr. James, thanks for coming on. And uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll get going. Well, it's uh, good to be here, Mark. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, particularly the magazine and some of the things that I've done in bow hunting over the past uh, 60 years. Uh, I'm from small county in uh, southern Illinois. I grew up there. There weren't any deer in that area. Uh, married my high school sweetheart. Uh, we moved to Indiana. Uh, went to college. Uh, we had started our family. And I started deer hunting over here. Uh, I think 60, 1960 was the first season I hunted, uh, bow hunted. I I love gun hunting, ducks, geese, uh, 22 for squirrels, rabbits, quail, all the small game, but uh, big game was something a little different. But uh, I had two sisters who married farmers, and it just so happened they had wild game on their properties, and uh, there was a bottomland called the Bumpaw Bottoms in Wabash County, and uh, I grew up hunting there. But I also started shooting a bow as a kid, and I loved it. And when it came down to uh, either going out during a gun season or waiting till bow season, but of course it's first, but uh, bow season was what caught my fancy, and I started deer hunting in 63, or 60, I'm sorry. Uh, I saw no deer. I found a few tracks. I was 17, I think, before I even saw a deer in Wabash County. And now they kill several thousand a season. But you know, the whitetail population was uh, not what it is. Today, back in those days, and uh, I hunted all of 62 and I saw one deer. I, in 63, I stumbled during the rut, I stumbled onto a buck that was intent on lovemaking. He let me get within uh, shooting distance and I shot, put him down. Uh, and he just happened to be a six point buck with considerable width and mass. And he was the uh, actually the first Pope and Young six pointer to make the record book. Wow. And I was uh, elated. Uh, got that was the I guess tipping point and something I said wow I can uh, I can get into this bow hunting stuff and so yeah and I started widening my horizons as far as hunting I have relation in Colorado and I knew that uh, they had an early bow season started the third Saturday in August in 65, I drove 
from southern Indiana to western Colorado. Uh, this is the Uncompagre Plateau Book Cliffs, that area. Mm -hmm. I did the Book Cliffs, and on the first morning of the first day of hunting, I shot a three by three mule deer within the first two hours, and I couldn't believe it. But I'd paid a guide eighty-eight dollars for a uh, tent camp. Uh, took it, took the buck into town, had him processed for all of ten dollars. <laughs> uh, got some snacks and drove back. Oh, it was I forget it, a little over a thousand miles both ways. And uh, uh, I think to myself. Boy, you know, beginner's luck. Mm -hmm. And that happened to be the name of the first article I wrote for Roy Hoff, who published Archery Magazine. And that was my first sale of a story to a national publication. And that hooked. 1965? Yeah, 64. 60, 60, 63, actually. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. Just Yeah, I'm sorry. I, you know, you have to forgive me. After all, I'm I'm 82 and senile most of the time. But uh, I did uh, I did go in 65. Uh, Janet just reminded me of of that. She's she's the one that rides hurt on me and corrects all my mistakes. So, there she might know. interrupt from time to time. But anyway, uh, I was hooked as you might imagine. I actually had that buck scored for the record book and it made it and I couldn't I couldn't believe it but I also uh, got interested in the Pope and Young Club at that time and uh, went ahead and joined we had uh, uh, that was that marked the beginning both my career as a writer outdoor writer and uh, a deer hunter who hunted in in time over the next uh, 50 plus years. Yeah. Uh, I've hunted virtually every species of North American big game with a bow. Founded Bow Hunter Magazine in 71. And we had extremely good response. And Bow Hunter uh, is still being published today. I worked uh, as editor founder for 35 years. I still have uh, the founder, writer, contributor title, and still yeah. occasionally devote uh, some time to bow hunter. Did you? What What made you create mag? Well, I read the other magazines. There were only there was archery, which covered all aspects of archery. There was bow and arrow, which was half and half, half target, half bow. There was Archery World, and that was it. And I was not interested. I shot NFA tournaments uh, in the 60s. I, I, I enjoyed it, but I was a hunter, a bow hunter at heart. Yeah. And I wanted a publication that was written for, by, and about bow hunting only. And there, I just knew that there was a market, a good market. 
we yeah. published in 1971, uh, published the first issue. It, I tried to get a, a New York publishing or distribution company to uh, put it on newsstands. They said they wanted to maybe a 75 to 100,000 copies. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. Uh, don't think so, but uh, we can we can give you fifteen thousand, and if you'll trust me and tell let me tell you where to put the the magazines. And I picked deer hunting small town areas, staying out of the big cities, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Illinois, uh, Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan. That's where we focused. Sure. And they said you're not going. I, I gave them, uh, I think, 13,000 copies, and we kept the 2,000. We we conducted an online or direct mail uh, subscription drive, and we were getting subscription coming in, and I gave them those. And they said, uh, the guy says, you're not going to sell 25% of uh, the newsstand copies. I think we ended up selling 80%. Wow. And uh, we knew we had something going then, and that was the beginning of uh, a magazine that's still going good today. So, so you sold 80%. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. amazing. At, At least, least it sounds amazing. Well, it, it was, and it is. I mean, they were shocked. The, the guy that called me said, I don't know what you guys are doing, but uh, we want more magazines. Mm. And I, I said we can uh, we can oblige because by that time we were getting uh, subscriptions. Uh, the money came in. We were getting advertising. That first issue had maybe forty ads, uh, okay. but there were a couple of big companies that joined in: uh, uh, Browning, uh, uh, a couple of the bow companies that. Don't really. Bear came in with the second edition of the magazine, but we had uh, advertisements for tree stands and camo clothes and things like that. Yeah. Eastern Arrows has been with us since uh, since 1965. Or 71. I'm sorry. That's when the the first bow hunter came out. What was the cost of the first subscription? Uh. Two dollars and fifty cents for a year, <laughs> and uh, five forty, I think, or five fifty for for two years. Yeah. And you could buy a full page ad for not much much money. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was enough to pay the bills. Yeah. Now, were you doing this on your own? No, and that's one of the things I was going to mention. Uh, I worked, I was at the time, I was a communications manager for the Magnavox company in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, we formed an archery club there. I say we, I met some bow hunting nuts, uh, crazy about it as I was. Uh, Don Clark, Bob Schistler were two engineers at Magnavox. Steve Doucette was a graphic artist who put my Magnavox publications together. I was responsible for internal communication and uh, public relations, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And we we got joined forces. We said, hey, here's our plan. We're going to publish this magazine. 
but we've got good jobs and for five years we're not going to take a penny out is that me or is that you? I don't know. I heard it on Monday too. Well, anyway, what I was saying is that uh, we put every penny back into the magazine and we kept increasing the number of magazines printed every month. And it, it was crazy. Uh, the families, Don's, Bob's, Steve and mine, we'd get together, we'd stuff the magazines in envelopes, we'd take them to the post office to mail. It was a kind of a primitive way of doing things, but it worked. Mm -hmm. And we just kept building. Uh, at the peak of its popula popularity, and this took a number of years, of course, but uh, Bowhunter Magazine, uh, we topped three sc i'm trying to, i want to make sure this is right i don't want to have to have to correct myself but uh we started press runs of over a hundred thousand copies two hundred thousand copies three hundred thousand copies and at the peak of its popularity bowhunter magazine was available in all the popular deer hunting states from coast to coast and we had a page circulation in excess of half a million readers. So wow. Bowhunter started from humble beginnings and then became a full-time business. Don, Bob, Steve, and I all, uh, well, Bob didn't, but the rest of us <clears throat> left Magnavox and uh, became full-time Bowhunter representatives. We attended all the shows, the trade shows. Uh, I joined Pope and Young uh, Professional Bowhunter Society, uh, and went out and met the met the folks. I don't know how many frequent flyer miles I have giving talks from coast to coast and a lot of towns in between. But uh, that was my life for uh, those first 35 years of the magazine's existence, and we marked our 52nd year this year. Wow. Uh, and it was just good timing. And plus, I'm pretty particular and I know the sport inside out. And I was very demanding on what we published, make sure it was accurate. And a lot of people uh, considered it their, their Bible. And I don't know how many letters I'd get in calls saying, hey, I, I just got started. I want to thank you for giving me this guideline to uh, bow hunting success. And that's what happened behind the scenes. Well, I think I told you on the phone a couple weeks ago, I've been getting this, it's about the mid-90s. And I've always enjoyed it. I love the whitetail issue. You see which states doing well. And, uh, yeah, your big game one, just, I just enjoyed it. Nothing like getting it out of the mailbox and sitting in your easy chair and reading it. Mm -hmm. Well, that was one of the things that people said was that uh, it was it was real uh, readable. That we taught a lot of things to the people who were beginning, and we provided 
advanced information for the people who were already successful and just wanted to be more successful and uh, said i've i've been blessed to uh, be able to hunt travel talk uh i've been active in more ways than one i uh, was president of pope and young club for a number of years i'm currently president of the uh, president emeritus of the archery hall of fame at Bass Pro Shops in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah. And I've been doubly blessed to be able to say I've met just about all of the uh, premier bow hunters and uh, call most of them my friend. So, of course, now you can look back, but that had you just been amazing that you started this magazine and then, and then you quit your, let's call your day job and you make a career out of it. That had to be really, really rewarding. Yes, it was pleasantly surprising. Yeah. Man, oh man. That's great. And no, you do. You get to meet a lot of people. And that's what I've enjoyed about doing this podcast, is I've met a lot of people already. And it's so much fun to get people on here and just talk wanting. Um, I mean, I'm mostly traditional bow hunting podcast, but uh, I just love bow hunting, period. And um, I wanted to get you on because you have a lot of history with bow hunting. Well, too, Mark, uh, when we started, there weren't any compound bows. Yeah. I mean, I was a traditional archer, and I still hunt with traditional equipment on occasion. I can't handle I, I, my stick bows. I, I shot just about 100% recurves. I messed with long bows, but I can handle them as well. But I, I love uh, I love recurves. And uh, the black one of my Black Widow bows that I killed several my first Pope and Young animals with is it and a, a uh, Ben Pearson Golden Knight recurve are on display at. Uh, the Archery Hall of Fame in uh, in Missouri, mm-hmm. and it's it's just like I said, it's been a an amazing ride. And uh, thank the good Lord and uh, my family for being patient because I was I was gone a lot. Yeah, you probably had a really great life. That was annoying. <laughs> yeah, that's something you don't want to hear on a scary night in grizzly country. It's coming your way. Oh man! But well, no, I, uh, getting like a—I was a kid in a candy store, uh, getting to meet uh, all the giants of the sport. Uh, met Fred Bear in '72, and. Uh, of course, he advertised with us. Uh, my biggest regret is he'd invited me to go on a couple of his hunts, and I just could, couldn't go. Yeah. He has a lodge in or a camp in uh, Michigan where he where bear archery started, called uh, Grouse Haven, and uh, he uh, invited me there several times. And uh, but I have uh, hunted with uh, some of the 
people better known today, Chuck Adams, for example, uh, he, he, uh, uh, we bought his first story and he became a regular contributor. He's listed on our masthead now. He's taken more pulpiting animals, some 400 plus uh, than any hunter in the United States. Uh, we went on a, uh, the NRA sponsored a Great American Hunters Tour back in the 80s, I think it was, or maybe the 90s. And uh, Chuck and I and uh, James Curl, Dr. Deer, were, we did 22 shows in uh, a month traveling from Kentucky, Ohio, West Virginia, up into the New England states and ended up in Virginia. Uh, we had people come in to hear our seminars. Each one of us gave a 20 or 30 minute uh, talk about bow hunting and deer hunting and any kind of hunting that people are interested in. Mm -hmm. And the biggest crowd I think we had was 3,000 people in a uh, arena in uh, Morgantown, West Virginia. And we had just great turnouts. Uh, these are all avid uh, bow hunters coming to hear us, and we hope we didn't disappoint, dis didn't disappoint them. And I don't think we did because uh, the feedback was really positive. Yeah, that, that, that guy is amazing. He's uh, he's amazing as far as his hunting ability, and he, he's a nice guy too. That's that's the thing. He he lived in Stevensville, Montana. We bought a ranch out along the Flathead River in Montana. My middle son Dave, uh, who's the other bow hunter in the family, uh, he went to University of well Montana. University of Montana in uh, Missoula, and he stayed out there, married a girl from Whitefish, and we moved out there when I uh, I sold the business, but I continued. I worked under contract uh, with the new owners. This was in uh, uh, 88, in 1988, and we moved to Montana and lived out there for 16 wonderful years. Uh, I still ran the magazine at that time, mm -hmm. and I the deal I had with the company was uh, I'll get everything you want and put up, continue to put out Bow Hunter. But don't call me during hunting season. <laughs> <laughs> and they uh, they agreed. And if you can imagine this, these are New York people. They had several magazines, fly fishing magazines, outdoor magazines. And uh, the president called me one day and he says, I understand you don't like to come to New York. And I said, you got that right. I hate it. <laughs> he said, well, how about we've got to have a board of directors meeting. How about if we fly out to Montana and we, we stay there and uh, you can attend the board meeting and we'll uh, get a little taste of the uh, life in big sky country and i said you got a deal and so they came up and so yeah you came out of the better end of the deal <laughs> i think so yeah so, so you, you were out there for 16 years you probably chased all kinds of predators out there yeah we like i say we had a uh ranch right on the flathead river it was overrun with deer uh and the thing that surprised me a little bit was uh they were all 
white tails. I only saw one mule deer ever on the ranch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I love whitetail hunting. That's my first love, and uh, I just can't get enough of it. The property we've got here, our farm in, in Indiana right now, when people ask me what I raise on it, I say mostly deer, and uh, yeah. that's the truth. I'm in the woods every day with my camera. Thus far this year, I've taken probably three or 4,000 pictures of the deer living here, and uh, I post them on Facebook. If anyone's interested, and I don't know if uh, this sounds like a commercial, but uh, Mr. James Bowhunter uh, on Facebook, if you can find that, uh, I think the last time I checked, I've got uh, about 25,000 followers that uh, look at these daily pictures and make comments about uh, living the life that I live. Like I said, I know for some reason the good Lord really blessed me and uh, I'm I'm taking full advantage of it. No, that's that's, that's wonderful. wonderful. So you did all this hunting all over the you know world ever. What's your favorite? Still the white tail? Oh yeah, uh, and I haven't hunted the world. I've sent the editors that succeeded me, uh, uh, Dwight Shue most notably, uh, but any editor that wanted to go to Africa, I gladly sent them. I, I don't like long plane rides. and uh, Plus, the more important, I don't know African animals. I'd have to rely on the white hunter to tell me what was good and what was bad. I know every species of North American uh, big game. I haven't, like Chuck, he was the first hunter, of course, bow hunter, to take the super slam. Mm-hmm. All uh, 27, there's 28 species now, if I remember right. But uh, he took uh, that in the around 1990. But there have been a lot of people, I say a lot, you know, comparatively, there have been several dozen uh, take uh, the Super Slam. I believe I've taken 22 of the 29 species of the uh, okay. big game. And uh, it's been... It's been challenging, but my I live for deer hunting. I've had uh, more than my share of success. I just love being around those animals. And if I can't hunt them with a bow, I hunt them with a camera. Yeah. Now, when you were in Missouri for those years, do you have any good bear stories where we're one charge or anything? A bear story? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I've had a number of encounters. Uh, when I lived in Montana, we've got grizzlies out there, and they're one bear you don't mess with. I mean, Ursus horribilis is the scientific name, and Lewis and Clark discovered why they called them the horrible bear when uh, they went on their journey to uh, to Oregon and the coast. Sure. Uh, I've bumped into grizzlies on a few occasions never been never been uh, threatened but uh, I respect them and I worry about them uh, as far as I've <clears throat> I've gone into a, say in the wilderness we hunted just outside Yellowstone Park and uh, one of the guys in camp was charged by a sow grizzly and we carry 
it's legal and we carry big pistols when we're, mm-hmm. we're hunting in grizzly country and uh, he ended up uh, killing a bear that charged him he shot her between the eyes at about uh, six yards and it rolled up dead at his feet and what was disconcerting i i was i went to camp the next day to join in and uh, i met the fish and game people they had to check to make sure it was a legal shooting and uh, they carry out they cut off the head and the claws the paws to uh, make sure no one profits from from that mm. and uh, i set up on an elk wall in that same area and i'd walk in in the daylight and then at dark when hunting day was over i'd walk out and sometimes i'd have my flashlight on and i'd find grizzly tracks in my boot tracks uh, so they'd been through there after i'd gone into the to the stand yeah. that always that always gives you a second reason for a second thought and i always said i i never wanted to step on a grouse uh, walking out with uh, in grizzly country i yeah. had, had a heart attack man did you hunt alaska at all alaska yeah oh yeah i've uh, alaska and canada i've hunted uh, i've hunted grizzlies in alaska I passed up the only good shot I ever had at one. He was about 40 yards away, and he never quite offered the shot that I wanted. And the last thing I wanted to do was uh, follow up, track a wounded grizzly. Yeah. And so I passed up the shot. But uh, I've, like I say, I've, I've bumped into grizzlies and once in uh, uh, Northwest Territories, we were caribou hunting and in a boat cruising the shoreline. And all at once, a caribou bull came crashing out of the underbrush and into the water. And about three jumps behind him was this big humpback grizzly. And I grabbed a camera and the, the, the caribou swam across this inlet. And the bear saw us and turned around and went back into the brush. And when that caribou stepped out, I could see he had claw marks on his side and there was a big flap of hide hanging, bloody hide hanging off his hip. And the bear just, he'd attack, but he hadn't pulled him down. And I uh, uh, wanted to put the bull out of its misery, but the guide says, if you shoot him, you got to tag him. And I understand that I didn't plus the bull was dying anyway we went back the next day and of course there's nothing but bones left uh, that was another grizzly encounter that i remember how about how about moose i've shot all three species of north american moose uh uh, shiris i killed a shiris uh bull in uh in wyoming I killed a uh, Alaska Yukon in Alaska. I killed a Canada moose in uh, Alberta. All three made the Pope and Young record book. Before I left Montana, uh, and the year before we moved back to the Midwest, 
sold the ranch and I drew a moose license and I did a do-it-yourself hunt with a couple of friends. Uh, I was the only hunter, had a cameraman with me. We had a TV show by that time. I mean, we had it for years and uh, I was in a number of Bowhunter magazine hunts, but this one I called in himself and uh, it was kind of interesting because he wasn't a big bull at all. Those other three bulls were all record book animals, but uh, the mm-hmm. one that I shot on my own, I called him in and shot him at three yards. People that see that uh, I'm hunkered down under a tree, it just started to rain and that bull came up the trail and he actually pushed through the branches of the pine tree I was hiding under and I'm on my knees and he's a little above me on the side hill and he pushes through the tree and he takes about two steps and I imagine he's smell me yeah he stops and he turns around and he looks and by that time I was uh, three yards from him and uh, I shot him through the chest and uh, he jumped and stood there a minute and turned around and started to walk back down. He walked maybe 30 yards and fell over dead. And we got that on tape. And that was uh, that was an interesting experience. I remember on Bow Hunter TV, Dwight Hughes mm-hmm. Musan where that bull charged him. Yeah, I love that look on his face when he got up. I've had that same look at times when a bear comes up the tree after me or starts bluff charging. It's, yeah. uh, but Dwight, I I love that look. He was, I hired Dwight. I we were on a hunt in uh, whitetail hunt down in Mississippi, mm. and I was thinking about retiring and. Uh, getting out from the day-to-day editorial work. And Dwight was the man I chose to replace me at Bowhunter. Yeah. And he graciously agreed. I had hired him full-time. He was an outdoor writer, a hell of a writer, good writer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I hired him to uh, be uh, one of our regulars uh, at the magazine. And uh, when I was knew I was going to retire, he was my first choice. And, Thank God he agreed and uh, uh, one of the best, worst parts, I'm trying to say, one of the worst parts of our long friendship was uh, uh, he had been in Vietnam and contracted Agent Orange and passed away of cancer a few years ago. Yeah. I miss him. Yeah, he was a heck of a writer, right? I enjoyed reading his stories. and Tremendous hunter. Uh, at least from watching him on TV, he seemed like he had a pretty good motor to him. Yes. He raised llamas and used llamas to pack in on a lot of his western hunts. And when Janet and I were in Montana, we raised and sold llamas uh, for hunting purposes and packing purposes. And, uh, yeah. Dwight was, was extra special and... Uh, I uh, was very happy uh, that he was, it was posthumously, but he was uh, uh, inducted into the Archery Hall of Fame just a few years ago now. Where was from? I'm sorry? Where was Dwight Shue from? He was a Idaho man. 
Oregon and Idaho, where he and his wife had uh, had lived, and uh, I believe he was uh, an, an an Idaho resident. Well, I know he was when uh, when he passed away, but uh, uh, we hunted together quite a bit, and he was an amazing man. He he was thin and wiry and tall and just boy, he could walk anyone into the ground. Uh, one of the best writers, uh, natural writers I've ever ever been around, and I was uh, thank the good Lord that I talked him into taking my place and sitting in an office. <laughs> but uh, he was a freelance writer, and I'm sure you might imagine how rough a business that can be. And when I gave him an opportunity for a full time job and doing what he loved, why he he didn't hesitate too long to say yes, and I'm eternally grateful for that uh, that experience. No, was, you were blessed to have him, for sure. Did you, uh, you got any good caribou stories? Uh, yeah. Uh, I took my son Dave, I mentioned he's a Montana guy, and uh, Took him and his wife uh, Norma and my wife Janet up to the uh, Northwest Territories to that uh, same camp where I'd encountered that uh, that grizzly bear attack, the uh, caribou. And we did a few days of trout fishing and uh, just relaxed. And then opening a caribou season, David never killed a caribou. He's he's a he grew up bow hunting and he killed his first blackberry I think when he was uh, about. 14 or 15, he killed his first deer when he was 12, I think. And just, he took after the old man and uh, I, he was always, of course, one of my favorite hunting companions, but uh, took them up. We we were going to fish a few days and then when caribou season opened, we were gonna hunt. And I shot a bull the first, first day. It wasn't a big deer or bull stag. But uh, I put him down. We were eating lunch at the time, and he came meandering across the tundra and up through the boulders where we were having a, a bite to eat. And I put a short stock and shot him. And my guide was named Ray, and Dave's guide was named Leon. And uh, Ray and I packed the meat back to the boat. It was about a two-mile hike across the tundra back to where the boat was. And we took the antlered cape and uh, uh, meat the quarters back and loaded them and got back and David already killed a bull while I was gone. Uh. But, but, uh, the, uh, excitement was short lived because while Leon Dave's guide was skinning the, uh, his bull, Dave's bull, uh, he made a, a cut in his knife came up through the inner leg of the uh, the bull when he tugged and he stabbed himself in the le upper inner leg and cut the femoral artery. Ooh. And when he stood up, he said, oh, I just turned away. I was taking pictures and talking and turned away. And when I looked back, he stood up and he Every heartbeat, of course, there was a stream of blood about uh, three, four inches long spurting out through his yeah. cut and his leg. We were 
hundred and some air miles from the nearest hospital. Uh, fortunately, a float plane had just dropped off supplies at camp. And when we called back to camp, telling what had happened, asking for some help, uh, <clears throat> the pilot of the float plane heard us and he said he was turning around and coming back to camp if we could get him to camp. But uh, the problem was we were probably two or three miles from the boat and Leon was a big kid and Ray and I had just packed that caribou back, but Leon, particularly bleeding, we put a tourniquet on his, got the bleeding stopped and gave him water and just kept talking to him. The girls, uh, Norma is a school teacher and had uh, first aid training and she and Janet kept him quiet and calm and uh, about the time we were really starting to sweat, uh, get a call from uh, a diamond mining operation about 90 miles to the north of us, uh, Kinnicut Dim Diamond Mining Company, uh, heard our emergency and they said, uh, we just want to let you know we've got a chopper here in camp and if uh, we could be a help, we'd like to come down and help. And we said, by all means, mm -hmm. but they didn't know where we were. so. They had to go to the base camp and then come back. They knew the area we were hunting in, and that was just more wasted time. We saw the chopper probably a half quarter mile away, and pretty soon it came chopping our direction and sat down maybe 20 yards from us. And, uh, Dave and I carried uh, Leon to the chopper and put it in the put him in the back. Uh, chopper took off and dropped him at camp uh norma who like i said was a school teacher and a nurse or uh, had nursing experience uh she accompanied him to, to down to Yellowknife uh, to the hospital and they got him down there and got him to the hospital and saved his life wow but that was the most that was the most uh incredible and scary and rewarding hunt I've probably been on to have that happen and uh, because when I'd shot a elk in New Mexico the year before a big bull and I shot him and hit he had angled shot a little back and I cut his femoral artery and he didn't mm -hmm. run 100 yards and here's a eight nine hundred pound animal uh, bleeding out in that short of time and yeah if we hadn't been able to stop the bleeding, uh, Leon wouldn't have made it. And, but oh, how old of a guy was he? He was probably in his early 30s, I'm guessing. Wow. He had a family, he had kids. Uh, so it was it was a scary thing. That we stopped the hospital to see him. Mm. And uh, he was smiling and his, he, didn't, he didn't talk much. But uh, anyway, a year later there in Montana, someone from that same hunting camp, one of the managers was in the Whitefish Kalispell area where we lived. And I uh, got a call. He said, I'm in town. I'd like to stop by and at the ranch and talk to you. And I said, sure. And gave him directions. And he stopped by and he said, uh, here's a little something Leon wanted you to have. And he handed me a little box. It was maybe two and a half, three inches by three, two and a half, three inches, this little square box and had a ribbon on it and opened it up. And it was his, uh, his 
Northwest Territories Master Guide Badge. And he said, uh, the guy told me, he says, Leon wanted you to have that. And he wants to say thanks again. Wow. So that was, yeah. that was, that was one of the, uh, one of the experiences that uh, you, you never forget, never want to repeat. No. Man, that's quite a story. So you got all these years of, of running around chasing critters. I was trying to think of, a, you know, you, you've seen the industry change over the years. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's, what's, the, what's the biggest challenge you think when it comes to maybe hunting in general today? What was I? I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't didn't understand. What What's the biggest challenge in regards to hunting today? Well, hunting is over the years become become easier, yeah. and it's supposed to be a challenge. And it seems that it's human nature to want to want to make things easier. I uh, first started bow hunting before the compound bow, and I shoot compounds and I shoot, like I said, recurves. But I I do it, and I still I pulled out uh, one of. My, one of my best friends in Montana, my dentist out there, he was a hell of a bow hunter. And we, we spent his family and Dave were good friends and uh, his family, Dave's family. And they were just, he was one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Hell of a dentist. He was our dentist when we lived in Montana, but uh, he had a tremendous major heart attack while I was working on one of his patients. He he survived. They flew him down to Missoula and treated him, but it, it, it ended up about two years later. Uh, he, he, how far, Janet? Chuck, how long did he survive after? Uh, it was longer. J Janet reminded me that uh, Chuck Chuck lived for some time after the heart attack, and in fact, we went hunting together a few times. And when I shot that moose at three yards, he was wanting to go on that hunt, but it was in pretty rough country, and he backed out. Mm. But Chuck passed away uh, after we moved back here. Uh, Janet and I went out for the uh, for the funeral, and. His family afterwards gave me his favorite hunting bow and said, uh, would I shoot something with it? And it was a recurve, and I killed a nice eight-point buck here on our farm mm. using that bow the following year And in Chuck's memory. And I, I wrote a feature for Bow Hunter called One Last Hunt with Dr. Chuck. Yes. And uh, that was, uh, that was uh, something special. Wow. Man, man. Yeah, it's funny. I've been a bow hunter since the mid-90s, and I always used the compound. Mm -hmm. And I found that as I got older, I needed to switch to traditional, and I just like the challenge. I like having to get closer. Um, I just like that aspect of it. Well, I don't want to make, I mean, 
a lot of people, there are a lot of diehard traditionalists who say that, uh, you know, a compound's a sissy bow, and, but a compound allowed bow hunting to be what it is as far as the numbers of people uh, we've banded together and the antis are trying to put us out of business and we need mm -hmm. all the people we can get. And I yeah, don't I care don't. what kind of equipment, this is always, I tell every audience I speak to, I say, I don't care what kind of bow you use as long as you can shoot it well because the animals deserve it. Quick, clean kills. Uh, I, I've had a number of instances when I'd pass up a shot because I just knew it would end up in a long tracking job and uh, most of the animals I kill go down within sight or mm -hmm. not much of a blood trail to follow at all. Yeah. And the same thing. I love, I still sharpen my own broadheads. Uh, okay. I, I use a, typically use a four-bladed head. And sometimes I'll have a bleeder blade. But uh, I love sharpening and being able to shave hair off my arm. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your broadhead? Well, my... I've got two. The last book I wrote, uh, I said that my favorite broadhead is uh, a Phantom 125, which looks a lot like the old Bear Razor head. And I love Bear Razor heads. Uh, uh, I also shoot a snuffer. Uh, it's a three-bladed head. Uh, it was finally made by Muzzy, but uh, Roger Rothar is a deer hunter from Ohio who invented it, and he showed me the prototypes, and I followed it, and it was a very popular head. It's a, a large three-bladed head, and uh, it's easy to sharpen uh, if you know what to do. Roger showed me how, and I can make, uh, I can take a file, uh, a stone, and a uh, leather piece of leather and I can have it shaving hair off your chin or your leg or arm in, a, in just a couple of minutes. And yeah. that's the thing. I think the, I like those traditional heads, uh, but I'm not in, and this is just personal. They work. I, I don't like the mechanical heads necessarily. Yeah. Those things can go wrong. I want something that is shaving sharp and will create maximum blood loss in as short a time as possible. Yeah. I always say aim for the double lung hit. If you take out, I don't care whether it's a, a bull elk or a little pronghorn antelope. Uh, he'll go down usually within sight if you uh, if you take out both lungs. Yeah, that's true. true. You put, put it both lungs, they usually don't go far. And the one good thing about the mechanical heads, some people can't get a head sharp. And yeah. the one thing that is good, they come ready to shoot, and they are generally very sharp and. But they can also, I've seen heads that didn't open. Mm -hmm. And it's like shooting a field point through a deer's chest. And uh, it's just a personal opinion. And I, I know I antagonize people sometimes, but I just, I, I understand why they do, use them. 
And yeah. some people have tremendous success with them, but I would imagine they're using a lot of times uh, heavy bows and uh, um, blowing right through an animal and breaking bones. But uh, those those thin heads, sometimes you hit a shoulder bone or uh, even high in the back, uh, taking through, through ribs, uh, it can result in a, a bad hit and sometimes a lost animal. And I, I, that's something I really, really hate to hear. Yeah, I, I, I like, like the BPA. What I like about them is they're easy to sharpen and they're, they're made right here in Indiana. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And uh, same with Ace, Ace Archery Tackle. Mm -hmm. uh, they're made. They're made in Illinois, so I like that aspect of Ace uh, Broadhead. Uh, mm -hmm. Easy sharp. Uh, I don't know. I like shooting broadheads. It's fun. Yeah. You know. That's part of the ritual of, mm -hmm. of getting ready and preparing, and uh, I sharpen them. I tell people too, don't forget that if you keep taking those sharp heads in and out of a quiver, uh, you need to touch them up because mm -hmm. uh, each time you cram them up in that foam or foam or have a back quiver and they rattle around in there, uh, they're going to be dull in the short order. So don't forget to touch them up. Now, when it comes to arrows, you've probably shot wood, aluminum, Fiberglass. Yeah. Fiberglass was Easton Arrows. Uh, Easton advertised with us from the first. I got to know uh, Jim. I didn't know Doug that well, with the dad, but uh, Jim Easton, I met him on a Utah deer hunt in uh, the uh, early 70s. And he. Uh, uh, is also in in the Hall of Fame, and we we got to know each other. But uh, Eastern Arrows uh, metal uh, arrows, but a lot of people don't know. They think aluminum arrows are something relatively new. But uh, Eastern made its first aluminum arrows back in the uh, around 1940. Might even been in the late 30s. Wow. And, and then fiberglass came along, and uh, microflights were one of my choice. They're heavy arrows. I like heavy arrows. I don't like these, I call them uh, straw-sized arrows that, uh, you know, will go 300 feet a second, plus right. maybe 350. And uh, I, I like something that will make up for human error mm -hmm. and hit those things you can blow through a blow through a small animal and uh, put them down pretty quick. It, sometimes those bigger animals can take a lot of killing and uh, the bigger and the heavier, the deeper the penetration. Yeah. Uh, it just, it's, it's a matter of personal choice, but these are all things you need to weigh in selecting what works best for you. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm just going down the wood arrows. That's all I've been shooting the last two years. And mm -hmm. boy, is that fun. Feather Fletch? Yeah, four inch and 160 grain broadhead. There you go. They, they just fly so nice. Oh, yeah. 
I like feathers. I still shoot feathers on my aluminum arrows. Do you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a fun it's a fun uh, hobby lifestyle whatever you want to call it. And uh, I got my first bow I think in 1984. I got a bear compound. Mm -hmm. And it had about 37 wheels on it. <laughs> and I don't think I ever hunted with it. Just shot in the backyard and stuff. Because my dad wasn't a hunter, wasn't really. He's uh -huh. more, of fish, more of a fisherman. Right. But yeah, that started the journey and just been loving it ever since. And, uh, Hopefully, as I get older, I can do a little lot of state stuff. And we did bears in 2016 in Ontario. Uh -huh. That was a lot of fun. Like oh, to yeah. do that again. Sure, sure. Um, you, you probably, probably chase bears, black bears. I'm sorry. You've probably chased black bears, right? Yeah, I stopped stopped counting in the 40s, if I remember correctly. <laughs> but I started in, in 1971. Seven, same time, I know what it was. It was it was in 1970 or 71 because uh, that first bear was a Colorado cinnamon phase black bear. I took him with my Black Widow recurve and uh bear razor heads and uh, he made he was the first bear that i killed and he had a 20 inch skull uh, as you may know you still there yeah i i lost the image on the screen was the reason i asked oh okay yeah i'm still here but uh Let's see if I can get air back. Uh, that Colorado black bear uh, scored 20 inches, and he won a, uh, a top award at the Pope and Young Banquet that we went to in uh, 72 or 73, 72, I believe. And uh, I've killed two bears over 21 inches, and that's Boone and Crockett's minimum. Uh, I've I've hunted them every way you can, calling uh, with dogs, uh, bait, uh, spot and stock, you name it. And uh, I can uh, I can say I've I've done it because bear hunting was always a passion of mine, and I just I love it. In fact, yeah. uh, Tom Nelson of uh, American Archery, uh, American Archer TV show. Tom and I go way back. He was the one that uh, did a lot of our work for Bowhunter Magazine TV. And Tom uh, is a serious bowhunter. He's he's working on number 50. Wow. Uh, and we, I don't know how many bears we've hunted and killed together. But he invited me. There's a special camp in, in uh, Quebec. No, I'm sorry, in uh, Alberta, where one of the best bear guides I've ever had. I've taken two monster bears with him. My two largest bears were taken with him. 
Tom goes up there every year and he says that Rob, that's the guy that owns the operation, wants me to come up next year for one final hunt. My wife has given me permission if I want to. <laughs> I don't, uh, I just don't like to, I don't like to fly anymore. It's a nightmare. Yeah. I hate it. Uh, and you have, I'd have to fly part way. Tom said he'd drive from Michigan down here and pick me up and we'd drive up together. And I said, no, if I go, I'll meet you. Yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll have one last hunt, but, uh, I'm, I'm tempted just one more for the road sort of thing. And yeah. I don't need to shoot another bear. I gave each one of our uh, kids and grandkids a bearskin rug to, for for their own to remember the old man by. Right. And uh, I've I've just if if you ever get a chance, have you ever uh, seen any of the pictures of uh, my what I call our natural history museum here at the house, the farmhouse in Indiana? No, I haven't. I'll send you uh, a couple of pictures. Uh, I've got uh, several life-size bear mounts, and uh, mm. I've got all, I think, all of the uh, record book uh, animals yeah. on display. And people come and visit, and we talk hunting, and we talk uh, the good old days, and gives an old man a chance to smile and remember yeah. some good times. Do you? Remember the name of that outdoor, or don't you want to say? Rob Nye. N-Y-E, Rob Nye, uh, Alberta. If you go on online and just type in Rob Nye Bear Hunts or something, you'll probably get that information. Uh, I've, I've shot the Department of Saskatchewan uh, Fish and Game invited me to come up they'd pay everything if I'd come up and hunt a bear and shoot one and publish it in bow hunter. Mm. So that's when I first got to know Rob and okay. he was, he was the guide. And like I said, I trust him. I've never seen <clears throat> more bear action. Uh, have, have you ever bait hunted bears? Yeah. When we went to Ontario, that's how oh, we yeah. did it. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that uh, last hunt, I went with Rob, and that's the one where I shot this uh, this one monster that was made uh, made uh, Boone as well as Pope. Uh, <clears throat> I got there, float plane dropped me at the lake, and Rob took the boat out to the. I got off on the pontoon and then got in the boat and get to camp. And we're chit chatting, and I said, "Well, how many baits you got out, Rob?" And he said, "None." I said, oh, okay. Well, I said, I brought my, my bear call if uh, if you want. <laughs> and he said, no, no, no. He said, uh, we'll put out a bait today and you can shoot one in the morning. I said, oh, yeah? And he says, yeah. Uh, uh. And I, I learned a long time ago not to dispute or disagree or doubt what he has to say. So we went out that afternoon and... It's afternoon. He doesn't have any baits out. We go out and set up a couple of baits. And while we're doing that, I look up the hill and there's one bear walking around. And I look down the game trail and there's another bear walking around. And uh, 
I, I look at and one of the biggest black bears I've ever seen is standing up on the ridge above us. And I'm saying, holy smokes. He says, I think you get a shot. And I said, well, we'll see in the morning. So, and that's one thing, Rob, most people in, in hunting camps will fish during the day and then put guys in the trees for or the blinds for uh, for the evening hunt and that's when the bears start in most places well rob said uh, we set up a double stand uh, had a cameraman one of rob's friends uh, in the tree behind me and i set up this we're right on the edge of the shore we're not uh, probably 20 yards from from the before we got out of the boat Mm-hmm. getting the stand the guy gets behind me uh and about oh probably it's starting to get a little light and i hear two bears growling and fighting in the brush behind me i hear splashing and here comes a bear walking through the water down the edge just within bow range but he's right there by i see two more bears on the side hill above me just walking around and all at once, I hear another fight break out down this trail over the hill. And I couldn't see what was happening. And about five minutes later, I look up and here comes that monster bear walking up the trail. And he's walking right toward me. And I think, OK. Uh, I turn around, look at the camera guy, and he's giving me a thumbs up. He's on him. And, you know, if I want to shoot, he'll get the footage. And that bear comes in. He sniffing the bait and he walks over there and starts to shoot and i put an arrow through both lungs and he runs up the hill and i see him go down up there maybe 50 yards and my hunt's over in the first hour and a half and uh rob rob said when he came to uh uh to uh pick me up uh he said uh, i told you and i said well i've never never Rob's wife had never shot a bear with her bow. And so we set up a bait for her along a salmon stream. Uh, fish were running and bears were coming in fishing. And, and after I left, Rob told me that I said, did uh, she get her bear? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, uh, in fact, uh, we sat there for five days just taking pictures and watching and she finally shot this real nice bear it's a beautiful coat and she was really pleased and uh he said uh, i counted and i think we saw 50 some bears while waiting on uh, on her to shoot that one and he's got that reputation and he does he is he's one guy i i don't usually like to recommend and hype something because sure. so many things, and you can have a spell of bad weather and you can have mm-hmm. a quick a hunt but rob's one guy i will trust i the biggest bear prior to that last one that i'd ever killed with rob we were going out to check baits during the middle of the day and we're in the lake driving along the shoreline and uh, you could see one of the tree stands from the shoreline and i looked and there's two bears on on the bait and i said to rob i said uh, why don't you drop me off here. I've got my camera and I'm going to sit in that stand and I'm going to take pictures of those bears. And he said, uh, okay, bear, take your bow. And I said, well, okay. And I 
he pulled in and the bears ran off and I got up, got in the tree and Rob takes off the lake, up the lake. And it was, it was June and the rut was just starting. Mm-hmm. The bear rut. And I looked down the trail, this is probably an hour later. And I looked down the trail and here comes the south. you walking, medium sized bear walks down. She walks over, starts nosing around the bait. And I turned around and looked and here came the biggest bear I've ever seen walking on her scent trail he walks over and he walks up to the tree and i'm still and got the arrow knocked but i'm just watching and he rears up on his hind legs and he looks at me and drops down and he walks over and he messes with her and finally offers me a perfect shot at 15 yards and i shoot him through both lungs he uh Runs out and I see him go down. And I'm sitting there when Rob comes and he says, did you see anything? I said, yeah, shot a bear. He said, Rob, I I really screwed up though. He said, what? I said, yeah, I thought it was a big bear. And it's, you know how the bears can be so deceptive. And I said, I I blew it. I mean, I've killed a lot of bears. And I said, I thought this was a monster. And I, 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 I just blew it. I said, he said, well, where is he? I said, you're behind that bush. He said, okay. Kind of kicking the dirt and walking over there, grumbling to himself. <laughs> he walked around that bush. He turned around and said, you son of a... <laughs> I said, you got to have fun, Rob. You got to relax. And Dwight was hunting with me, and he killed a beautiful, big cinnamon bear Mm. Uh, and what was funny we were going back to camp and here Dwight came in his boat and the guide and me and Rob and we stopped in the middle of the lake and compared each other's bears (laughs) but there were five of us went and we all five shot nice bears do you you like the spring what do you you like like the the spring or in the fall oh uh spring okay i've never well the only time we did we did uh beginning of september yeah but i'd I'd like like to try spring spring. you talk to rob and tell him that i said that uh i think you got a pretty good chance of uh of hunting and getting a bear shot getting a shot at a bear yeah uh, kurt and guys from the magazine go up there and every year and they kill bears so, i mean it's still happening when, when you, you fly there you fly in edmonton or calgary or no uh we fly into uh, saskatoon this is in saskatchewan oh okay and you take if you look as far north as you can go in the province that's the area you'll be hunting Okay. I think Rob's got a new area now, though, and uh, there there's no telling how many bears are in that unit. I've I've talked to Kurt Wells, of course, about it. He he goes up. He took his one of his nephews, I think. And they both kill big bears. It you, you don't have you don't have any excuse for not seeing bears, and if you can shoot straight, you're going to kill one. I mean, that's yeah. pretty much what it is. 
let, let me talk a little bit about spot and stock for black bears. Okay. Okay. Where have you done that? Alaska? Yeah. Uh, I've done it there. I've done it in the territories, uh, Northwest Territories. Uh, done it some in uh, Montana when we lived out there. Uh, in the spring when the snow goes and the grass starts popping up on those, uh, they've got gated roads out there that fish and wildlife use and they lock the gates, but you can walk those roads. Mm. And the bears come out of hibernation and they'll graze on that grass. And you can see sometimes on a side hill, there might have been a logging operation and the side hill is pretty open. And you can see sometimes you can spot a bear, at, you know, a couple hundred yards and you can walk those trails. And if you stay out of sight, it's quiet walking and you can get within uh, within bow range for sure. But it, it's it's iffy and, you know, bears are bears. If the wind shifts and they smell you, it's going to be gone. But uh, that's the type of hunting I've done. And, you know, you sit up on a ridge and glass uh, mm -hmm. some of the, the old creeks. Are, there's, there's elk wallows and bears will wander past those too and sniff around. And it just... Uh, been a time out there but uh it's it's tough i mean that's that's a lot tougher bears can hear and smell they got some of the best noses of any game animal and uh, they can't see all that well but they can they can sure smell and hear okay yes yeah, 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 i'd like, like to get to alaska and do that but we'll, we'll see, see. Well, this has been fun, Mr. James. Um, we, call, we cover a lot of cool stories. And, uh, yeah, you got anything else you want to share? Well, I have pretty much retired from all these far off hunts and I just I tell you and you got a you got an invitation if you're ever in southern Indiana where uh where, where are you based again I'm in northwest Indiana we're just off interstate 64 about halfway between uh Louisville we're 50 miles exactly 55 miles I think from Louisville and uh Oh, probably that far, a little farther from to Evansville down in the mm -hmm. corner of the state. But uh, if you'd like to come out to the uh, to the farm sometime, uh, you can do that. I got uh, I got a guy coming and bringing his uh, his son uh, here yet this week. I had a guy out earlier this week. Uh, uh or that was last week i'm sorry but uh i'm glad to show people around i can show them some deer pretty much if they come early enough to go with me sure but yeah, uh, if, so. if you'd like to uh like to visit and i don't know of course what your schedule is but you're probably busy but uh if you ever have a time where you can take a day day and a half uh, come on down and we'll i'll show you around give you a tour of the museum and we can we can talk i don't know if I, anything i told you tonight is usable uh, if you want to 
try. I'll send you some pictures via yeah. email. Sure. Do I have Do I have your email? I can't remember. Uh, yes, I think you do. You do, or I do? I'm pretty sure you do. I think that's how we communicated. Okay. Why don't you if you would give it to me again, and I'll I'll write it down. Just make sure I have it. You got something to write with? Yeah. Okay, it's the letter M as in Mark. Yep. H O. Mark H O. H as in hello. I'm I'm sorry, I I can't I couldn't hear what what was said. It's basically my first initial, which is M for Mark. Yeah. And then the rest of it is my last name. It's so it's letter M as in Mark. Uh-huh. Letter H. H. O. O. E. E. K. Mm-hmm. S. S. Yes. Okay. Then the letter E. Okay. Then the letter M as in Mississippi. Okay. Then the letter A. Okay. And then the number six. Mm -hmm. The number eight okay at email dot com six eight at email g g yeah g mail okay let me get <clears throat> that's m h o e k s e m a six eight at gmail dot com that's, That's correct. Okay, I'll get you some pictures, and yeah. uh, I'll send you. Uh, oh, several you can just just look at. I don't know if you ever interject any of those into your, your cast podcasts or not, but I've had people that to uh, ask for them, and they intersperse yeah. with some of the dialogue and and whatnot. But that's that's up to you. You're the you're the expert. Well, no, I would love that. I use Instagram a lot, so I'll write a day or two before I post this podcast, I'll put those pictures out there, and uh, I'll send you an email when I release it. Okay. So. okay, that sounds good. You got hey. my you got my email and everything you need. I do, yeah. Well, I'm sorry that I wasn't uh, up to... Uh, figuring out this Skype thing, but, uh, no, I, I should have explained, explained it to you because I, I just assumed and I should assume. So, well, like I said, I've done it several different ways and it's whatever, whatever works for the fellow that's, uh, that's wanting to talk to me. I know I've given you hell of a lot more than you need, but, uh, maybe you can find something interesting. And if you want to follow up with any questions or anything, just give me a holler. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming along, and uh, we'll stay in touch. All right. Thanks, Mark. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Mm -hmm. All right.